Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we are stuck in the doldrums of another international break. But uh, we are here to try and lift everybody's spirit and get everybody talking about Everton again. I'm your host, Adam Jones, and I'm today joined by Dave Prentice, Connor O'Neill, and Gavin Buckland. We've been asking for your questions on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we'll get to those in a little bit. But I want to ask a couple of my own questions first because I'm the host and I'm allowed, and I'm just <laughs> going to do what I want. <laughs> so, Freno, we are going to talk about the international break first. And oh, do we have to? <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately, a few things have happened in terms of Everton over the international break. It's been a bit Certainly up and down so far. There's only been one game. But, uh, of course, yesterday, Seamus Coleman was meant to be playing against England for the Republic of Ireland. He's instead had to withdraw from international duty and he'll be returning to Finch Farm next week after suffering a recurrence of his hamstring injury yeah. in training for his country. Uh, it kind of puts into possibly it, it kind of puts into perspective for me why why on earth are we doing international fixtures yet again just a month yeah. after the last ones it's just it's going to be so much pressure on these players isn't it it's, it's absolutely ridiculous and um, I don't want to cast aspersions about um, the way the Republic of Ireland appears to look after their players but this is a recurring theme isn't it you know so Everton have had numerous run-ins uh, with the Irish setup going back to Ronald Koeman's time and the way in which they always seem to call up James McCarthy, even when he only had one leg and he was like, you know, sort of <laughs> hopping around the training ground. Um, and Seamus Coleman clearly has been struggling uh, with a hamstring problem. Now, we know it's his decision. We know he's the international captain. We know he's desperate to go out there and represent his country. Uh, but sometimes a little bit of common sense has to be used. And, you know, no one's massively surprised that he's got an international duty and suffered a recurrence. He didn't even play the game, you know, so he did it in training. So it's very, very disappointing. And he's also massively important. We've spoken before about the difference that he makes to the team when he's available and, you know, so how we suffer when he's not there. We've said many times about that right side, you know, how James Rodriguez does what he does and it puts an awful lot of responsibility and focus on whoever's playing right back to get the defensive side of the game right as well as the attacking game side of the game right. And Seamus does that brilliantly. So it's big, big shoes to fill. I mean, uh, John Joe Kenny had a, a little go uh, earlier this season. Um, you know, there, there aren't many other options, to be perfectly honest. Uh, so it's a massive blow. And as you rightly say, completely unnecessary. I mean, it's bad enough having two international qualifying games this break, but to, you know, to shoehorn a friendly in as well. I mean, New Zealand couldn't make it. So, you know, you're off the hook there. Oh, I know. We'll invite Ireland instead and fill that gap with an Irish friendly. Just absolutely unnecessary and very, very few positives last night, unless your name's Jude Bellingham. But, you know, it's just, just a waste of time, I thought. And we've suffered, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, I think Dave makes a good point there. We, I mean, we'll get on to uh, who will fill Coleman's shoes a little bit later on in the podcast. But it really did feel like this friendly was just shoehorned in, as Dave says, you know, in place of that New Zealand game. And I think that's probably the main uh, the main gripe that a lot of fans have got with it at the minute. 
Yeah, but a lot of these are contractual stuff, isn't it? That was drawn up months months ago. Um, I think the understanding is if they'd cancelled the friendly last night, they would have had to pay at least a seven-figure sum. Wow. Back to broadcasters if they'd cancelled the game. Um, so a lot of um, a lot of games are down to like just contractual reasons, isn't it? They need to complete the Europa League because a lot of the smaller FAs uh, need need money, uh, and so like that, you know, you you know, European FAs need need the money that international fo- uh, football generates. So um, that's that's one of the that's one of the problems, I mm. think, with with it. Yeah. Of course, Connor. This is only the first game of this international break, as well. You know, we've still got multiple players, key players, of course, as well. Who are going to be playing a lot of fixtures over the next week or so, two weeks. You know, it, this is this is really not the way that Everton wants this break to start, is it? No, it's not. And the only thing you can hope of it's not it's not going to set a precedent for the the next ten days because I think there'll be a lot of nervous nervous Evertonians watching the next few weeks. You know, worth of international action unfold. I just think for me, it just, I mean, I only watched about five minutes last night, but everything about it was just, it just seemed commercialised. I mean, the fact England played in their away kit and even their own, mm. you know, just stuff like that felt it was it was being forced. And, you know, Seamus's injury in, in the build-up was, you know, as left a sour taste in, in many Evertonians' mouths. But it's just, I think international football on a whole is just it's ridiculous this year, isn't it? Because you've got such a tight schedule as it is. It's going to be even tighter towards the end of the season when the because of the European Championships. There's going to be less of a break going into next season. Then it's it's just they could just really done without without this kind of this break. But it, it is what it is. But the hope for Everton now is that Shaman Coleman is only one, the only one who picks up a knock and everyone comes back on skates and really go for pull them. Of course, Dave. It's not just injuries that we've got to be speaking about over the course of this international break. We've also got. Hanging, hanging threat of coronavirus is still is still apparent. You know, we had a Republic of Ireland player pull out of the squad after testing positive uh, following yesterday's game. We've had Domagod Vida, I think, tested positive just after playing against Cenk Tosin. Like, there's just, I think, there's been an issue over in the Brazil squad as well in terms of coronavirus, and it's just, it just seems to be adding up. And it's it, like, it, especially in the global pandemic that we're in at the minute. Was international football really a good idea? No, it's unnecessary. I mean, we're exposing you know, our footballers to unnecessary risk. Um, I mean, the, the, the likelihood of number of players having to isolate as a result of trips abroad is very, very high. And uh, I just don't really think it, it, it's a risk that's worth taking in a number of cases. I mean, there was always the argument in the past, wasn't it, that clubs carried too much uh, too much weight, and you know, so too, had too much of you know the argument weighted in their favour when it came to international football. They decided when their players would go. They decided when players would be pulled out, and you know, FIFA and UEFA sanctions were very, very light. I mean, Alex Ferguson used to pick and choose when he sent Ryan Giggs on international duty uh, with Wales. But it seems to have gone a little bit the other way now, uh, whereas you know, so the the national bodies and the national FAs seem to have a lot more uh, authority than they ever did. And I just, I just really do think it's unnecessary. Uh, I just think it's like very, very strange to be asking players to go on these long international trips and exposing themselves to this threat. Um, you know, it's already such a really, really busy fixture schedule when the players report back. I mean, there's a very, very short period of time to prepare, uh, you know, for the next fixture, and then they come thick and fast after 
that. So to expose the players again to A, the threat of injury and B, you know, the threat of coronavirus is deeply, deeply dissatisfying, I would say. Mm. Do you agree with that, Gav? I mean, it, it does just seem like a, a really unnecessary risk to be taken, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I can, you know, you can talk about talk about that. I mean, it's no, I don't think they're playing any international football in Asia, aren't they? We're a bit more advanced in terms of uh, controlling the the coronavirus, which is interesting. But mm. I go back to my original point that a lot of this is contractual stuff that they have to, they've already agreed to do, you know, months ago, and they would lose money. I mean, now the current financial environment of football, they lose money if they did pull out some friendlies or a similar. But this points back down to the distribution of resources, doesn't it? Mm. If there was a fair yeah. distribution of resources in international football, so smaller FAs got more money then you wouldn't have this issue to a degree. Yeah. And, and, then, and that's that's a problem. It, it's You can't have it both ways. Mm. If you are a big country where you want all the money, but then have to commit to doing so many extra games. Mm. Um, and, that, and that's, that's it's another symptom of football's greed, I think, at the top end of this. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll stick with you, Gab, as well, because, I mean, it's not all been negative over the course of the international break so far, of course. Dominic Calvert-Lewin found the back of the net again for England. Oh, 13 no. goals and 13 <laughs> starts for him. And he did it from the penalty spot. Now, does that does that make him a contender to take Everton's next penalty whenever that might come? He might not even be at the club in five years, might he? Um, <laughs> yeah, he does, I noticed that they're, they're talking about a glut of penalties, you know, in the Premier League and around football. They appear to have bypassed Everton, doesn't it? Yeah. It's pretty normal, yeah. you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I know we'll have a view on this as well, being an old timer, but I always yeah. think you tend to fall to take penalties unless there's a very good reason not to, uh, for confidence reasons and much anything else. So uh, I would say, yeah, but, you know, others may may uh, disagree. Yeah. I, I like the idea of centre forwards taking them, and I can never understand why centre forwards would not, not want to take them, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, you should be there or thereabouts. So, even if Charles can strike the ball about Carney, you know, mm. as well. So, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to see him give him a go, it, you know. But um, it's the it's the internal sort of hierarchy within the dressing room comes into this as well, doesn't it? And as we've seen in the past, on, on at least one memorable occasion. <laughs> Don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely right there. I mean, strikers should be first on the sheet to take them. Uh, because they should automatically have the technique and you know and the right technical characteristics to be striking the ball correctly but they should also have the confidence and as gav you know is suggesting there it does allow you an opportunity to build your confidence i mean strikers normally score goals in runs uh, you know you'll, you'll have a run of five or six games where you'll score a number of goals and have a, like a, a dry spell of five or six games and if you're taking penalties and you're getting them you know relatively regularly it just gives you an extra opportunity you know to add to that list and break those uh, long spells and you look at the leading strikers you know in the game they've all taken penalties Alan Shearer you know how many of his 260 uh, were penalty kicks Harry Kane currently takes them now um I mean, it's got to be a balancing act. You've got to be confident enough to want to take them. And I can think of some Everton strikers that have never had that confidence in the past. I'm thinking of Tony Cossey, who, um, who took a few almost under duress and um, you know, sort of missed quite a few as well. He was never you know, particularly confident about taking them. Sharpie took them. Not the greatest penalty taker in the world, you know, statistically. But, you know, he scored a lot more than he actually finished. 
but he was always willing to. But the thing about Calvert-Lewin, he just, like all elements of his game this season, even his penalty taking seems to have improved. Um, every bit of his game has a bit more polish to it. I mean, he took the one against, was it Leicester last season in the penalty shootout? And uh, he scored, but I can't really remember it being a particularly you know, dynamic penalty. It was just a penalty that he scored. And he took a couple for England under-21s as well, which were, you know, uh, confident enough. But that one yesterday, it was like, you know, it's like he'd been practising and practising and practising all week. And it was just magnificent. I mean, you can't get too excited about a penalty, for God's sake, you know, unless it's Bob Latchford in the last minute, so he make it 30 league goals. But um, it was just... It's just like such a great penalty. I've watched it back about five or six times because it was uh, just technically so perfect. And it just looked like he'd been working on the training pitch. And if he's putting that level of work into it, yeah, by all means, hand it over to him. You know, he, he certainly would fill me with a bit more confidence than Gilpie Sigurdsson at the moment. <laughs> well, Connor, Richarlison has taken Everton's, but I think is Everton's only Premier League penalty this season. Can't remember any others anyway. Uh, against Crystal Palace, wasn't it? And uh, he buried that. Uh, do you think do you think that Calvert Lewin should be challenging him for that spot now? Yeah, definitely. I uh, I agree with what both the Dave and Calvert says. I, I think centre forwards should be taking penalties unless you've got an unbelievable penalty taker. You know, a, a fullback normally uh, in your ranks or a centre back who, who's, who's prone to taking them. I think the centre forwards should be on them. I think Calvert Lewin proved last night that I think he's been working on them. I think he's he's shown again signs that you know he's. This is a lad who's, who's clearly got the bit between his teeth and is clearly working on every aspect of the game he possibly can. Um, and that includes penalties. And I think he should definitely be, be looking to take the ball off for Charleston and, and give for six and then become Everton's you know, number nine penalty taker because it, it makes a massive difference as well at the end of the season for his goal tally. If, you know, if he gets, I don't know, being a bit old, optimistic here with being Everton, but if he gets 10 penalties and he, he gets them in, that's an extra 10 on his goal tally. That could be the difference from 20 to 30 you know, 25 to 35 goals a season. So it does make a massive difference. And I, I think it'd be good to see him getting getting the ball for penalties from the one run and, be, and him becoming Everton's number of penalty takers to the point where when the penalty's given, you know he's going to be the one who gets the ball and he's going to take it. I think for me, there's, there's been far too much kind of debate over the last couple of years where you know Everton have got a penalty and the conversation <laughs> quickly turns to who's actually going to take it. I think now would be a good time for, to see Carl Lewin be given the the responsibility and for him to be the only one in control of taking penalties. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, as promised, we will move on to some uh, fan-submitted questions from Facebook and Twitter. And Gav, we'll start with you from this one from Rob Brownlow on Facebook. Do you think the recent results are due to personnel slash formation, or is it more about the way we are playing, i.e. moving the ball too slowly? Uh, can I bottle out and say both? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Because, of course, they are they are too interlinked, aren't they? Uh, they are interlinked. Uh, I'd, throw, I'd throw a third one in there, fitness. Mm. Um, to fitness and absence of key players is the third. 
Uh, yes, I would. I wouldn't say formation. There's a lot of stuff we may talk about at least because I know it's, it's been asked by a couple of people about. There's been a lot of stuff about Rodriguez this, mm. this week, hasn't it? About pressing and all that. I'll just, I'll just park that for this question. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that. I, I think, I think fitness as much as anything else, and I would say in the middle of the park, a, a lack of a bona fide fully rounded defensive midfielder who's just sitting in front of the back four. I'd, I'd say anything has cost us. Um, so a, a, a bit of both. A bit of both, really. Yeah, and, and you, move, you move the ball quicker, you, you play more confidently, aren't you? You know, and you, you know, you, you know the, the style and set up of the team that used to. If you change personnel, then there always seems to be a little bit of a, you know, that, that appears to suffer. So I think that, that they're all interlinked. Um, Absence of key personnel, fitness, certainly lack of defensive midfielder. Um, and, you know, that's impacted on how we've defended full, full stop. So there's lots of things going on there. I don't think there's just um, just one issue. Mm. Do you agree with that, Prano? I think in terms of the latter part of his question in particular, you know, you have noticed over the last few weeks the Everton's build-up play has been a little bit more slow, more lethargic. There hasn't been that sort of High pressing energy, almost in Everton's play that we saw in the first few weeks of the season, hasn't it? It hasn't now, and it, it sounds like a, a, an obvious thing to label it on. But Richarlison brings so much to that, you know, press in the final third. I mean, Hamez doesn't do that. We know he doesn't do that. You know, so Dominic formerly was very, very good at that, but has been told, you know, by Carlo not to concentrate on that aspect of his game, to concentrate on, you know, basically loitering around the penalty area and, uh, you know, so trying to attack the balls that come in. And that's been very, very successful. So, you know, Richarlison is a man that effectively leads the press in the final third. And uh, you take him out of the equation and you either mix the formation up like we did at Newcastle, which certainly didn't lend itself to any kind of a high pressing or you bring in somebody like Gilfie Sigurdsson, who again works hard. You know, you look at his running stats, and he does cover a lot of ground uh, during a match. But it's not really an intense degree of pitch coverage, and he doesn't, you know, go chasing in the final third. So it probably is down, you know, to, to the lack of, per- or you know, the different personnel being used and different formations. But it's been key, you know. So the results have suffered uh, over the last few games, and probably largely as a result of that. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned Gilfie Sigurdsson there, Preno, because we have had another question through from Twitter from Danny Broderick, just saying, Gilfie Sigurdsson, how is he still being picked? Look at his stats. He's going through the motions. Connor, do you, is that something that you would you would agree with? I think the reason why he's still being picked is because Carlo Ancelotti clearly sees something in him that many of us don't. I think he must be an unbelievable trainer or offer something incredibly good on the training ground because... It's hard to, to properly judge why he's getting the game time he is right now at this minute because um, he, he's been far from impressive so far this season. But I actually think in, in some respects, he, he's kind of been a beneficiary of, you know, Everton's midfield not being at the best over the last couple of weeks. I think, you know, everyone's seemingly has a chance to it to stick a claim and not many people have actually taken it. And I think he's kind of almost by default found himself back in the team as the, the best option or the one who probably put the best performance in out, out the five lads who, who've been given chance in midfield over the last couple of weeks. So I think, as, as almost argue, say he's kind of in the team by default. Um, but I think it is, his dipping form is alarming. I think it was interesting the night he scored a cracking free kick for Iceland. 
and he's told me, which is, which is something that we've not seen before. So hopefully that might give him a bit of confidence and he'll come back a different player. But I think right now, this minute, he's, he's kind of he's in there filling a void because, like we've seen over the last couple of weeks, our, our midfield options haven't been aren't great. And lads and players certainly haven't took the chance when they've been offered it in recent weeks. Mm. I think Connor raises a good point there, Gavin. He's kind of read my mind on my next question. You know, Gilfie Sigurdsson last night scored a fantastic free kick for Iceland. Still hasn't scored a free kick since he's made the move to Everton. And I think, you know, it's stuff like that that makes his dip in former club level all the more frustrating, isn't it? When you see him go off on international duty and he does kind of regularly still score for Iceland. Yeah, yeah. He scored a few this year, hasn't he, for Iceland? Didn't yeah, score a couple yeah. at the start of the, the season. Mm. My, my main problem with Sigurdsson is, is we've been talking about this on Monday, weren't we, that um, it's, his, it's the role he performs in a sense and how do we tactically fit that into the team. And, and the problem is is that, I will repeat this, if I've every time I've said this on the pod, you know exactly what I'm going to say is he's a player, it's a player of moments for me. Um, and you don't you can't have a player at the moment in the, in the midfield in like a four three three, which you've got at the moment because he's not going to run a game for you. He's, okay, he'll work hard as Keno says, and he'll track back, but you're not going to see much in terms of hate that phrase. I'm going to use it recycling of the ball and all that type of stuff. That's just not his game. His game is is provided volleying around the penalty area, and the only time where he's he's done that for us is in a four two three one where he's been in the middle of the the three up top where he can just uh, drift behind the, the striker and, and use his quality there. And and um, that, that that's that's where his best play for Everton has been. And, and I said on Monday, if you were forced to play him in, in the team and wanted to, you know, and if Richarlison wasn't playing, say, the last couple of games, is you, you play him up front, mm-hmm. wide left, um, and get him to drift in, in and around the penalty area, um, like Bernard on, uh, on Saturday. Um, so... I think I think at the moment it, it's he's not in his best position, not in the best tactical setup for him, and he sort of is in the team but by default. I think that on options when the Charleston and Andre's form and fitness obviously is being brought into question, our op- our options are limited, aren't they? Mm. So yeah. uh, that's that's my my opinion on it. Mm. And Dave, in terms of tactical setup elsewhere, I'll move on to a question that Gav. Uh... Gav brought up before, and it's from Paul Bargery on Twitter, and he said, how should Carlo deal with the tactical problem presented by Hamez playing off the right side, but not giving our right back any cover, which opposition have exploited recently? I think it's it's something that we picked up on here a few times over the last couple of weeks, isn't it? But yeah. it doesn't really seem to have a solution as of yet. No, it doesn't. I mean, um, it, it wasn't a problem at the start of the season, was it? Uh, because... Um, teams hadn't really cottoned onto it yet. Hammers was being given the space to exploit and create things, and it wasn't really such an issue, even though we were conceding goals. Maybe it was the fact that we were playing what you would automatically perceive to be weaker teams, Tottenham accepted. Um, and maybe when we come back and we're playing other teams, you know, from towards you know the middle of the, the, the division, it might prove um, more profitable again. Uh, but as we started this pod by saying the absence of Seamus Coleman is going to be such a big, you know, sort of obstacle to overcome, um, because he does offer, you know, what little, you know, sort of defensive, you know, resilience we have down that flank, and uh, taking him out of the equation, it is going to lend itself open to another solution being sought, possibly a way around it. Could be a switch of formation, um, you know, maybe 
go for three at the back, you know, and play wing backs. But to me, that seems like, I don't know, it's a bit of overkill, really. Do we need to make such sweeping changes, you know, so just to overcome that, that, that one issue? And if, I suppose a lot of it is down to the fact, how bold you want to be? I mean, are you prepared to allow opposition teams to get us that little bit more down the left if you accept how much the Hammers can create going forward? Almost like the uh, you know the old you know wheel score more than you vibe. Uh, I know there's like a happy balance somewhere in, in in the middle ground, and I can't even begin to say I know the answer. I mean uh, that's that's why Carlos the, uh, the the tactical you know so mastermind that he is, and we're just writing about it. You know we're just uh, you know advice about what we see. Uh, it's it's a tough one, but you know he will be aware of it. You know it's clearly not something that you know he's just turning a blind eye to, and uh, it's something that you know we'll be watching eagerly. You know, so when the team sheet drops for the. Uh, the first game back a week on Saturday. Mm. Gav, I know you wanted to talk about this a little bit earlier, so I'll come to you. You know, can you see any obvious yeah, solutions? Uh, I know we've spoken about it. We've, we've spoken about it more jokingly, haven't we? I think more than <laughs> anything about his lack of legs and stuff. I don't think you said, oh yeah, it's caused like major issues in terms of conceding goals. I mean, United two goals on Saturday and the goal of Southampton, I think, and don't recall anybody turning now when the goals were scored saying, sorry, what, that was James Rodriguez's fault, that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can point, you know, I think there was lots of reasons that those goals conceded that were nothing to do with James Rodriguez. Uh, mainly, you know, on Saturday, not picking up runners into the, the middle of the, the penalty area for a start. Um, almost identical. I know Rashford didn't score, but he put, he put Pickford off, didn't he? Uh, if he'd not been there, Jordan would have collected that. Um and that, that goes back to what I was saying before, is like you've got a midfield three there, haven't you, whose job is to, you know, protect the back four, pick up runners. You know, if somebody's wide right, sorry, I'm just thinking, if somebody's wide on our right, attacking, say, Southampton did, it's also up to the midfield to cover that space, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like to Corey, say, for example, you know, and it's up to them. It's not just up, it's not just Hannes Rodriguez's fault. So I, I just think, as Penno says, there's a bit of a sledgehammer to crack him up this, um, talking about formation changes. They're not, because before we, we change the formation, and, and we shouldn't, by the way, um, we, we should, uh, you know, you neutralise some of our biggest strengths, which is like Richardson has to play wide left in a 4-3-3 to get the best out of him. He's our biggest asset. Calvert-Lewin is best suited as a centre-forward in the 4-3-3 or in the 4-4-2 or the 4-2-3-1. Um, you know, and you know, if you think Hamas Rodriguez doesn't press now or presses wrongly, in a four two three one, you'd have to press even more. Because mm. you've got you've got loads of space behind you. Um so I I just think that's a little I don't disagree, I disagree with any assertion that says we have to change our formation. I think it's just basically getting our midfield to generally keep their shape better, the midfield and defence keep their shape better, like they did at Tottenham, um, mm. for example. And also, it just just belies the, the lack of a, a, a proper number six um, in, in the squad at the moment, obviously, with Gabbard still being injured. Mm. So, no, I, I, far too much finger-pointing on Rodriguez this week and blaming him for stuff. Um, I, I, I didn't agree with it, to be honest with you. There has to be a scapegoat somewhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's good. Well, it's, it's a good narrative, Dave, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Roger, oh, Rodriguez starts the season well, gets loads of thoughts, quite rightly. Everton lose four. Oh, guess what? You know, yeah. it, it's his fault. Well, oh, by the way, he's not being fit. 
Yeah. As you said quite rightly, Adam, last week, he's not been fit all season. Mm. Um, and his, his lack of fitness was came out on Saturday, I think. So, I mean, it's it's just a good narrative, isn't it? You know, but actually, when you look at the, the goals that are being conceded, uh, put, put it this way, I don't think he's our biggest defensive issue. <laughs> you know, and I don't get formation change on the back of it. 4 3 3, I think, fits the team that we've got at the moment in the sense, mm. especially up front. Well, I mean, speaking of a formation change, Connor, this kind of manages into a question from Matthew Barry on Facebook. He said, how do you think switching to a back three with wing backs would help make the team more defensively solid? And, you know, obviously Gab said that he wouldn't want a formation change. Preno said that he wouldn't want a formation change. Could you see the benefits of moving to a back three or would you think just stick with the 4-3-3 that was working at the start of the season? No, I'm, I'm with the lads on this one. I think you've got to stick with the... The 43 that you know served us so well for the first seven games of the season. I think the whole through the back thing, it, it to me it, it just feels a bit of a knee jerk reaction. I think yeah, okay, results in being good enough, but like I've said, they you know a lot of our defensive problems. I think personally, it's down to individual errors and individual and players not doing their individual jobs. Not so much the you know the, the tactical setup or you know the the, the positional play. You know if. If people track the runners and, and mark them out, you know, and stay with the runners, then United don't score, don't score twice at the weekend. So I think for me, I think the whole three at the back issue is it's the knee jerk reaction to the, the poor form. I don't really see how Everton would, would necessarily play three at the back because I don't think Seamus Coleman would be a natural right wing back given his age now. I think he's done extremely well in recent weeks, but obviously you know, he's injured again. Who who necessarily comes in? John Joe Kenny has he got the attack and prowess to, to be a natural right wing back I don't think so so I don't really see how three at the back would work because I don't think we've got the wing backs to to properly operate it on the right hand side um, and I think it's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction I think you know hopefully Everton will you know come back after this international break and, and go back to a basic you know the basic 4-3-3 system that they were playing as well at the start of the season and ultimately you know people start doing the jobs properly and won't be you know passing the book and, and not doing what they shouldn't do if 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 people get back to what to go back to basics almost and, and do the basic jobs, then you know, Everton, in my opinion, will start picking up points in no time. Mm. And Preno, for the uh, for the last question of the podcast, we'll marry it back towards the start of the podcast. As General Mont on Twitter asks, who should be right back if Seamus Coleman is out for the next game? Obviously, he's been uh, withdrawn from international duty, he's awaiting a scan, and we don't know, uh, don't quite know yet how. Uh, the extent of his injury is for uh, General Mont says Holgate played there during his last loan so would you consider that? Oh what I'd not even thought of that to be honest um, I mean the obvious two choices are Godfrey who has played there also but as we saw at Southampton doesn't look particularly suited to it in the Premier League just yet and John Joe Kenny you know, who is a natural fullback um, and who's the obvious choice Holgate, I don't know. Um, yeah, he has played there before, but it's not his natural position. And just whenever I've seen him play there, he doesn't look like a player that's comfortable, you know, sort of getting up and down and getting crosses into the box. He looks more comfortable as a central midfielder, to be honest, uh, in that little cameo he played at Old Trafford last season. Um, I don't know. To, to me, it's got to be John Joe Kenny. And, um, you know, John Joe's got a lot to prove still. I know he's had a full season in the Bundesliga, which was well received. Uh, but, you know, the Premier League is a very, very intense division. It's, it's up to him, I think, to prove that he can do that. I mean, other than that, you are pulling players out of position and, you know, having players playing in areas that they shouldn't do. 
Um, I, I can't really see beyond that, to be perfectly honest. I mean, it's John Joe Kenny for me. Mm. Gav, what, what are your thoughts on this? I think Preno makes a, an interesting point about Godfrey, and I think, in my personal opinion, probably the if the Manchester United game proved anything, it was that Everton had just looked a bit a bit suspect down that right hand side anyway. So, considering Godfrey's performance against Southampton, I think even if Seamus Coleman was playing in that game, Southampton would have targeted us down that side and probably would have got a bit of joy down that side. As Manchester United Te- teams have been targeting us down the right hand side for a while down, well now because I think, as I said before, when Keane plays right centre centre back, is he's not great to to his right hand side. You know, people coming at him with pace and stuff. When he's got a turn, that's not his strength. And, and I think that the people tend to talk about our right hand side to defence just generally. I think um, not just down to the fullback. I think when Keane played right. Right centre half, it's happened. Um, so yeah, I think and Seamus is thirty-two. Obviously, fitness issues again. Um, I tell you what, if you had a quid for every every time on the podcast we said Republic of Ireland injury, <laughs> pod, we'd be very rich, wouldn't we? Like you know, yeah. Um, yeah I, 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 in terms of playing, I, I get that. I get the the whole gate one. That actually, I think it'd be best to say playing centre defence. Um, I think I get the uh, I get the Godfrey one as well, um, which leaves us really with John Joe, doesn't it? Which is not ideal um, because I think John Joe is still I think, in development. I think will probably be the best way of describing him, um, mm. and it's it's not it's not ideal that we've not really addressed that right hand side of defence. Uh, but having said that, we've had bigger priorities elsewhere. Mm. Uh, and Seamus, when he has played this season, being fully fit, has been okay. I think been good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I think uh, Kenny for me, but with a asterisk next to it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Connor? Obviously, we all hope that Seamus Coleman might be proven fit when he gets back to Everton and he's fully assessed uh, next week. But if it turns out that we do need to play somebody else there, I think as the lads have mentioned, there are three fairly obvious options in terms of Holgate, Godfrey and John Joe Kenny is the way of looking at it. Who would you, who would you your money be on? Well, I think it's, it's got to be Kenny, hasn't it? Because he's the natural the natural right-back. He is the right-back. He's the back-up right-back in many respects. And I think, you know, he's obviously got to prove, he's got to, he's got to prove that he's still got an Everton future. I think more first and foremost when he gets his opportunities this season. But I think it, it would it'd say a lot for how much Carlo Ancelotti thinks of Kenny as a player if he's prepared to maybe play Godfrey or Holgate out of position in a position that they're not familiar with. I think that'll be a bit of a kick in the teeth for Kenny more than anything because I think if you are the backup right-back and you, you've kind of been dubbed as the backup right-back from, from pre-season to then be overlooked by someone who's going to move there who's naturally a, a more suited playing a centre-half, I think that'll be a bit of a kick in the teeth. So, uh, I think it's it's got in my opinion it's got to be Kenny because he, he is the natural right back who who will slot right in. But I think it will be interesting because I think if it's not Kenny, then it, it, it clearly shows that he's maybe his long term future isn't isn't exactly after club at Everton and he could maybe look to move elsewhere in, in January because it's a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't it? If you're on a right back and the right back gets injured, you get overlooked for someone who's who moves to play their outer position. Mm. Right, certainly some interesting points there, lads. Thank you very much for joining me today. And thank you, everybody, for submitting their questions. Uh, If yours didn't get mentioned or if you want to submit another one, we'll be back on Monday. I'm sure we'll appreciate much more questions to uh, 
to discuss on Monday's podcast. So get them in on Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. We're the Royal Blue Podcast, of course. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.